When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, can you, can you hear that noise in the background, Kieran? That's the sound of the Super League rumbling on, although I am in South London, it could also be a police helicopter. Um, <laughs> it, it's questions day, Kieran, but obviously there are a few, a few news stories to catch up on, uh, on You Know What. Uh, Sky reporting yesterday that the other 14 Premier League clubs are demanding the resignation of the CEOs at all the greedy six and reporting that the Premier League are to remove executives of those six clubs from all committees and subcommittees, which is most likely to happen, do you think? Um, The decision as to who is the chief executive uh, of a private company is down to the shareholders and down to the individuals concerned so there's a limited amount of wiggle room I think the uh, owners of the other 14 uh, have um, there there was uh, D- David Dean was on uh, Football Focus yesterday and he was saying okay it's been an absolute disaster uh, people are suitably contrite uh, ultimately I think everybody in football does want the same thing. And the the other 14 clubs in the Premier League need the big six as much as the big six need some other clubs. So they, won't, they, won't nece- they don't necessarily want 14, of course, in the Premier League. Yeah. So um, th- there's a difference between, you know, I think vengeance, which I think some people want and blood, and having to accept that it has been an absolute disaster from the... Uh, perspective of governance of the game um, and the reputations of the people involved at the upper tier of these clubs and their reputations will be tainted for as long as they remain in the game. So I think it's it's up for them to make that decision. We've already seen Ed Woodward leave, although uh, spin doctors are are working overtime. The the rumours now going round was that he wasn't in favour of the uh, Franchise League and he resigned uh, because he was opposed to it. Um, uh, which, yes. which is unusual, like the, like the Jose Mourinho <laughs> rumours that went round on the Monday morning. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and, and we still th- remember the, the Super League. Uh, the Super League company still has three remaining clubs in it. Yes, um, and according to Perez, who is the president of Real Madrid, it will cost the clubs that have decided to withdraw at least a hundred million euro each. Um, and of course, you know, one of the beneficiaries of that will be Real Madrid, if that proves to be true. Although I, I didn't think anybody could go beyond the degrees of denial that we've seen from Donald Trump earlier this year yeah. in terms of accepting the election result. But Perez um, has gone you know, full Black Knight from Monty Python in uh, in his comments. Um, he, he's saying that uh, the uh, there were only 40 people at Stamford Bridge yeah. on Tuesday night. 
and uh, they were being paid to protest. And you know, and he's got no no evidence to back this up whatsoever. Um, he says all of the uh, all of the clubs in the the Premier League are profitable, so therefore they could afford to withdraw. That's not the case. You know, they are losing money. Um, it, it's, uh, it's it's been a very weird uh, few days. Now you've mentioned Perez. Uh, I was going to come on to him later, but I'm adaptable, Kieran. I'm like a, I'm like a middle aged, <laughs> overweight gymnast. I can I can switch from parallel bar to parallel bar. Um, I mean, as you say, his defiance is incredible. He, he basically what he said yesterday was this: this is still coming, and and fans were stupid enough to fall for the lies in the media. I think he might need to change his PR advice. But this 100 million euros, the contracts for the clubs have been leaked, and he's probably the leaker and revealed that mm. each club will have to pay a hundred million euro breakup fee. Who do they pay it to though? Well, they would have to pay it to the, the super league company has been incorporated in Spain. So therefore it presumably it's enforceable f- from, from that perspective. Um, and then if the super league company was wound up, uh, one can only assume that there they would have to be a distribution uh, before that takes place, now who, to whom that distribution goes it is uncertain. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Perez, who uh, let's face it, is a multi-billionaire in his own right, he has been a very successful businessman. Um, uh, he would like that money to go to the three remaining uh, clubs: Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juve. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, if I if I was up against Manchester City's lawyers, having seen you know, their uh, somewhat Rottweiler-like. Uh, Efficiency um, in terms of defending the club in respect of our the the charges from UEFA, I, I'd be not overconfident of uh, getting these uh, other clubs to, to pay up. Um, so it's uh, it, it's it's an awful lot of uncertainty. And, and one of the weird things which happened when, when we started to come through on Friday is that okay, we've thought that Super League was dead. Um, and perhaps we'd have a little bit of uh, calm, and up pops Project Big Picture again. Yeah, we had yeah. uh, Je- Jess Moxie, um, who's one of, one of the seniors. Uh, I think he's on one of the board of the EFL, and, and then Rick Parry comes up and says, um, "You know, let, let's let's not forget uh, uh, Project Big Picture." So, okay, let's not forget Project Big Picture, and let's remind us what it was. A uh, Project Big Picture was written by. Manchester United and Liverpool, um, who are also the two clubs uh, involved in Super League, two of the drivers. And uh, Project Big Picture is not an alternative to Super League. Project Big Picture and Super League were operating in parallel. Super League was the intention on how to treat European football. And big picture was how to deal with the domestic game, yeah. and remember this involved a concentration of power. You know, this, 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 is a bit, this, this does sort of a bit of a reminder. There are a few, a few consistencies here, um, where six clubs would effectively be able to govern English football, yeah. and uh, they would be this, you know, the, the nine clubs who had been in the Premier League the longest. You know, why they chose nine, I don't know. Uh, and why only six of them had to vote uh, in favour of, of a rule, I don't know. But I think we can guess who those six are. Um, so Rick Parry said, you know, uh, Manchester United and Liverpool are two of our great clubs showing leadership and exercising responsibility. And the message from both Liverpool and Manchester United is that they do genuinely care about the pyramid. Well, you know, this seems 
to be inconsistent with their proposals for to take control of the game. Um, you know, I appreciate he's a Liverpool fan. I appreciate he's you know former chief executive of of Liverpool himself. And if you go to the Liverpool two thousand and nine accounts, um, somebody was given a three million pound payoff that year. And somebody was given a the highest paid director that year was, was also paid one point four million pounds. Now I don't know who that is, Kevin. I don't, no, I don't I, know who that I, is. I don't know either, Kevin. But I could take an edu- educated guess. Is yeah, it's going to rhyme with Mick Barry, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. And, and yeah, remember, the chief exec, the, the chief executive of the EFL resigned uh, a couple of days after Project Big Picture was announced, and the EFL said, "Oh, yeah, he's only been in the job three or four months, and he's now resigned because he." But nothing to do with Project Big Picture. So who knows what's going on? Um, yeah, I just don't understand the logic. Nor do I. I don't think I've got enough room in my brain for Project Big Picture this week, Kieran, to be perfectly honest with all the other stuff going on. Rick Perry's doing a very good impression of a man who's saying to clubs, you just seem to have lost quite a few uh, administrators and staff because I, I would happily, if you need somebody to step in and, and take Ed Woodward's place, I'm available. I've, you know, um Perez's logic as well, Kieran, and I almost admire him. His logic seems to be that the uh, the other nine clubs will happily cough up a hundred million euros each, split between those three clubs, who will then buy players to take on those other clubs in the Champions League for as long as it's possible. I, I think even Man City might have seen through that one, Kieran. But mm, yeah. just just briefly, because and I really don't want to get sidetracked by Rick Perry because I know our views on Rick Perry coincide, Kieran. And, and let's face it. Last pod we did was long enough. We we haven't got time for a Rick <laughs> special, basically. Nor indeed uh, uh, does producer guy rich though he is have enough money for a protracted legal battle, which should almost inevitably occur. Um, first thing before the second, first thing before the second big story. That's how professional. That's because you maybe get up really early this morning to do this. Oh, pod sorry about that. That's, that's yes. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm, I'm on the naughty step at home. I'm, I'm not surprised, Kieran. You've got a naughty flight of stairs, I imagine. Really. <laughs> one naughty step. But Kieran, I've said this to Baroness before. If you're married to one of the world's leading experts in something, occasionally the world will ask your husband to be the world's leading expert in something. You're only upstairs. You. you the Baroness could have come and sat with you. And no, really, she listens to this occasionally. I'm not. I was about to suggest she could come and sit and do some knitting with you or a jigsaw while you were being busy. <laughs> That's a road that would get me into a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? Um, this this notion that the, the Premier League want to remove executives of those clubs from all Premier League committees and subcommittees would that be because they can't trust them to be privy to confidential information now, or would that simply be a fairly half-hearted punishment? Well, there has to be an element of trust if you are negotiating on behalf of uh, a group of people. And the the way that uh, the people behind Super League have been operating in such a clandestine manner means that you know, how how can you face up people? And I think that that's the big issue. Yeah, if, if I was Daniel Levy, knowing how I was having to go into a meeting with with fourteen other clubs where they've been operating you know where it's been op- where he's been operating behind other people's back and just nonchalantly say hi guys yeah nice weather how's the wife you know, what, what was dc line and duty last night I, I i just wouldn't be able to do it mm. so i we'll, we'll have to wait and see um you know and, and there have been some positives from this uh the the uh the fan-led review uh does appear to have now crystallized and that's going to be led by 
Tracy Crouch. The government has said that uh, yeah, Oliver Dowden has said that if if legislation is necessary, then you know then we, we will do whatever we have to do. Yeah, we're going to come on to that in a, in a moment, actually. But one final thing to come out of this over the weekend, Kieran, a big, big protest outside the Emirates on Friday night while the Arsenal-Everton game was going on. And and while it was going on, Daniel Ek, founder of Instagram, publicly offered to buy the club um, and also got loads of free publicity for Instagram in the process. But that was a, a strange two minutes of broadcasting while you're watching a rather sterile game and, and up pops the news on Sky accompanied by the Instagram message that this, this chap's basically said, if you, if you're selling, I'm buying. Yes. Yes. And, and uh, the Cronkies are sort of pushed back to say, you yeah, know, nothing wrong here. We're, we're perfectly happy. Um, uh, we are now dealing with uh, the, the rarefied atmosphere of, of billionaires sort of uh, you know, chess battling against each other. So we'll have to wait to see. This this is nothing to do with money at this particular stage. This is something uh, to do with vanity and pride. Uh, Stan Kroenke, would, it would be a humiliating climb down to a certain extent if he ended up uh, having to sell Arsenal. So he doesn't want to be seen to being have, have his hand forced. Uh, yeah, not that he's ever said a dicky bird uh, one way or the other about yeah, Arsenal yeah, anyway. Anyway, yeah. Um, let's move on, Kieran, because before we get to questions, and we've got some really cracking questions this week, as usual, there are a couple of other, I was going to say smaller news stories, but for the clubs involved, they're not, are they? Uh, Bordeaux, one of France's biggest clubs, have gone into administration after their American benefactors appear to have pulled out. Yes, um, this is uh, this is COVID-19 related to an extent. Uh, Bordeaux have US owners called King Street. Um, they only acquired the club in 2019, so, you know, Bit like comedy, buying a football club timing is in, is essential, and uh, yeah, they've they've already put in forty six million euro, and and they've just said, yeah, we, we've done the sums. It's, it's costing us money um, every week, and we can't see ourselves ever getting a return on this. So, you know, sorry guys, that that's it. Um, and you know, clearly, Bordeaux will have been hit in terms of uh, loss of sale of match day tickets uh, from the pandemic, as have. Every football club on you know, in every country where there is presently uh, a lockdown or, or other other restrictions, but the big issue which we have discussed on more than one occasion before in in respect of um, French football is the TV deal with Media Pro, and, and it looks as if uh, the the French Football League has you know, has estimated that its revenue this season is going to be down by a half. Now that compares to ten percent in the Premier League, so. Uh, all of the all, all of the clubs are therefore reliant upon backers, and King Street have said we've we've done it for for twelve months. Sorry, guys, no more. So you know, it, it does call into question the the ability of clubs. And you know, I think we we both said that uh, France is is the country where we have the most concerns um, yeah. because it is uh, it, it is so dependent upon the TV money, which has now collapsed. So you mentioned timing and the French TV deal there, Kieran. It's, it's a sad reminder that the last time I was in Europe before this kicked off, as uh, a few of us went on our annual jaunt to Europe, and we decided to go to Bordeaux, and we booked some tickets for the Bordeaux game. 
on the Saturday morning. And uh, on the Friday night, we were informed by a chap in the pub that uh, French TV had moved the game to a Monday evening. Oh, no. I know. Uh, <laughs> so, so would, uh, being football fans, we thought we'd have a walk down the stadium anyway. Um, Absolutely. Luckily, yeah, luckily, there's a half-decent bar not far away, so that saved the day. <laughs> uh, with, ironically, football on TV from all over Europe. So, um, from Bordeaux to Scunthorpe, which is a... a, is a a link I don't think I've yet made on this pod, Kieran. We've made lots of <laughs> we've made lots of links. Um, Scunthorpe no longer owe money to the club owner. Um, presumably that's good news. But when, when Guy sent the questions, he put that in the, with a question mark. So I don't know whether that implies, Kieran, that it's uh, can't be good news. But it must surely be good news, isn't it? Well, ah, um, ah, there's well, a well. That's a, yeah. <laughs> you said that exactly the way Ali says well every now and again. Yeah. Um, the the Scunthorpe owner is a gentleman called Peter Swan, and and I will choose my words very carefully here um, mm. because um, I, I did write an article for one of the newspapers um, just over a year ago, which resulted in legal threats from Mister Swan. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mister Swan has uh, owned the club for seven or eight years. Um, it's made significant losses every single year. Um, uh, over over that period, you know, based on my figures, um, for every hundred pounds of income, uh, they've paid out wages of one hundred and forty three percent. Now, on, on that, that's not a good way to run a profitable business, clearly. Um, but at the same time, Mister Swan has underwritten those losses. He's he's lent money to the club every single year through his company, um, which is now owed eleven million pounds. Um, so he, he was. He said, "We have, you know, enough's enough." Um, and, I've, and I've got to say, you know, I'll try to be even-handed on these things. Scunthorpe produce. I, w- I would give them a five star in terms of their accounts, in terms of the transparency and detail. So yeah, there is lots of stuff for me to analyse here. Um, and, and talking of five stars, Mr. Swan is also uh, building. Blackpool's first ever five star hotel, um, and and as somebody that, that used to run a nightclub in Blackpool, I, I do wish him for the best. There's a lot of social deprivation problems in in Blackpool, mm. and anything which can bring a bit a bit more glamour and attention to the uh, to the town, I'm um, I'm in favour of. So, in terms you know, I'm, of, you know, just I'll just stop you there for a moment, just uh, for the benefit of listeners. In terms of um, stars, it, just put a number on the difference between how many stars this five star hotel will have and how many stars your Blackpool Night Club had? I, I think uh they probably got five more stars. <laughs> um we we did win the uh stickiest carpet in Blackpool award <laughs> uh, when I ran it. <laughs> and, and and all the local drug dealers were uh you know they they they, they love the place. <laughs> it's, it was you know when I when I used to do the uh the administrations, which which was a while ago, I, I did get an awful lot of experience, which which I never anticipated when I when I qualified as a chartered accountant. Uh, but having to negotiate with drug dealers as to what I would and would not accept was was certainly not in in any of the exams I ever uh, sat. I get it. Um, you're you're a big fan of line of duty. I imagine Ted Hastings would think that's a clever idea. Sticky carpet <laughs> means the drug dealers can't <laughs> run away from the police. <laughs> Stuck on Kieran's carpet, you undercover. Anyway, let's uh, let's not be distracted from your potential legal case against Peter Swan. <laughs> so why? So just let's cut to so, the chase, Kieran. Why? Why so, is it not good news that they no longer owe money to Peter Swan? Well, um, 
he, he had a number of choices. He said, you know, I've, I've, I think I've done enough. And, and he has underwritten these losses. So he, he could have just written off the debt, debt straight. He, he could have converted the, uh, the debt into shares. But instead, he says, OK, I'll write off the debt, but I'm taking the club stadium in lieu. Oh. Oh, bloody hell, right. Um, and at the same time, he's he's trying to build some properties, not on the stadium. He says that the club now has a 999-year protection um, in terms of nobody can move. If, if there's a new owner of the club, they cannot move them out. Um, so he said that there is protection, and you know, you, you've got to take him at his word on this. He also says that there will be no rent paid, so that actually could be good because the club was paying um, interest on the loans due to his company, Call Silk. Um, so you know, it, it could be a positive, but you know, we, in our experience, you know, something which we've discussed again and again, when a club loses its stadium, you things can turn yeah. ugly. Yeah. Not necessarily straight away. But it's one less significant asset yeah. that, uh, that the club has. You know, certainly in our experiences at Brighton, when when our stadium was sold at the Goldstone, you know, it took us, you know, took us a long time to get back to Brighton. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm just cautious about this. Uh, yeah. there, there's nothing there's nothing explicitly bad or wrong about it. But yeah, why not just write off the debt? Put full stop. Yeah, let's <clears throat> let's deal with this last question as quickly as we can. Uh, Kieran, because uh, it involves the Premier League and refereeing, which at the moment are not subjects that everyone's particularly interested in. But it's it's a it's a point that needs raising. The Premier League accounts are out, and there's a lot of stuff in there. But in particular, you're interested in the refereeing costs. Yeah, well, it, it's something which I think we've been asked before uh, in terms of how much do referees get paid, and, and you know we've we've looked at that. Um, the, the Premier League made made a payment to PGMOL, which I think is professional professional game management or officers or league or I don't know something like that. The one that Mike um, Riley's in charge of, yeah, yeah. And uh, the you know the, the Premier League's had a, had a tough year itself because you know, it has been impacted by um, has been impacted by COVID. Still gave one hundred and eleven million pounds in solidarity payments and to, to the grassroots, which yeah. is. Uh, you know, is, is was actually consistent with last year, but then the payment to PGMML was was up thirty percent to thirteen million pounds. So, given that there are three hundred and eighty Premier League matches, uh, and, and I appreciate that they 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 pay for other things. You know, the, the referees do have meetings with clubs and other bits and pieces and so on. Uh, it works out as thirty four thousand two hundred pounds per match, which That's right. That does seem, you know, that's okay. That that's for the referee. Um, clearly, you know, two uh, two assistant referees. There'll be a fourth official. You know, the, the man that holds up the how many seconds are there to go? Um, and and, uh, and uh, VAR. So the reason why it went up by thirty percent was was presumably yeah. down to uh, VAR costs as well. But it's you know, it, it is quite significant when you do it on a match. By I'm hoping that will be substantially less for the EFL because yeah, you know, that will, that would take out a huge chunk um, for, from especially from from clubs in the lower league. Well, they should save themselves a bit of money when Everton play because Duncan Ferguson insists on holding up the board. This is not enough. Having met Duncan Ferguson, I'm not going to stop him. But it's it's. I, I know, Kieran, that we have a, a, a few people involved in the refereeing fraternity who 
um, listen to this pod. So I'd be really interested to hear from them what they think about this because it, it, at a time when I was talking to a, a, a mate the other day, he works on the pitch at Sellers Park, although he doesn't at the moment because he's one of about 150 people who aren't needed yeah. uh, in the current circumstances. So I'd be interested to hear a referee's take on that. So let's let's move on to questions, uh, Kieran. And as you'd imagine, we've had loads on the Super League. And again, as you can imagine, a load of them are now out of date. So I've chosen just one because several people asked this, including Joe Kurt and Paul Edwards, and it refers to something you've mentioned before. It's, it, basically, if, if the fan-led government review of football were to recommend a German-style 50-plus-one ownership model, which you can only hope, would it be possible to achieve that from where we are now? Um, the only way that it could be achieved would be through statute. There would have to be a change in legislation. Um, at present, clubs are privately owned. Um, why would Roman Abramovich give up 51% of Chelsea when he's put in £1.4 billion already? Yeah, from a, so I, I think it would be quite difficult um, and from a legislation point of view. And we've also got the fact that uh, you know Spurs are controlled uh, from the Bahamas. We've got Manchester United, which is registered in the Cayman Islands and traded in New York. So where does UK legislation stand with regards to you know, overseas, ultimately overseas entities? Um, so I, th- I think it would be a, a tricky one. Um, there are alternatives to the 50 plus one because 50 plus one, it, it's being it's being spoken of as a panacea. And it, and it was fantastic to see that the German clubs just said, yep. well, no, we, we ain't going for it. Um, and, and end of story. Um, so I, I think actually that 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 that, sh- that ship has sailed. Um, we, we'd have to think of alternative ways of addressing the governance issues and you know, the the. Uh, the, uh, the fan-led review, I think we'll have to go down a slightly different re- route, perhaps uh, to have uh, non-executive directors on the board, perhaps to have some form of golden share where you, you're not actually, you don't actually own the club, but you have a, a veto power over certain aspects to do with football. Now, I think that again would have to be backed by legislation um, from the government. Uh, because I can't see the clubs necessarily voting for that themselves, and, and that's understandable. If, if if you own a football club, why why voluntarily go for it to, to relinquish power? Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, Boris Johnson has clearly discovered football as a as a vote winner. It's it's hard to imagine even he deciding to arbitrarily say we're going to have a fifty plus one model that might win me the next election. Um, although he will. Uh, he needs a dead cat of some sort to throw on the table at the moment if Dominic Cummings keeps blogging. That um, uh, door sound effect, by the way, Kieran, was that Finley the dog? That, that was Finley, yeah. Yeah, he was coming in with his wonky chomp here that the Baroness has given him his, uh, his morning treat. Uh, it's wonky chomp. That's what they're called. They're called, they're called wonky chomps. Yeah, so I'm, ho- hopefully, I'm now going to get a box of wonky chomps on the back of this. You're going uh, to get something wonky if you carry on podcasting and broadcasting. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to the rest of it. We're 25 minutes in, 26 minutes in, Kieran, and we're not on to uh, our listeners' questions yet. Um, the first one comes from Liam Tyrrell, 
Uh, now, Liam says, we know match day programmes have been declining in circulation for some time, and many clubs, of course, took them online during the pandemic. My team, West Ham, however, is still producing a limited number of printed programmes to purchase. Do you know how this has affected things for clubs in terms of advertising revenue? Right. I think I think it, it would have a, a negative impact. If you take a look at the uh, the print runs, and I'm, I'm indebted here to... Uh, uh, my mate, uncle, my mate, Uncle Ian, who who is the king of programs, um, he says that normally clubs budget for um, somewhere between twenty to twenty five percent of fans attending matches buying programs. So um, the only way you can effectively order a program these days would have to be ordering online, and, and I think a lot of fans will choose not to do that. I mean, clearly we've got program collectors. Um, we also have you know huge clubs such as Manchester United who have global followings and and they that they sell huge numbers of programs overseas because clearly you know their fans it's it's a way of engaging um so you know that, that I think they would still do quite well um but for the smaller clubs you know we, we've got to got to include you know our clubs there um then I think there would have been a substantial reduction. Uh, and when, um, when do you read the program? You read it at the ground you know, or half time, uh, and that's when the advertising, in theory, sort of you know, embeds itself in, in your in, in your subconscious. But it, it won't be the same from an, it's certainly from an online programs which some clubs are offering. You just you just you don't even notice the, the advertising. Um, so yeah, I think it will will have impacted upon clubs in uh, in, in negative uh, in negative revenues. Does anyone actually read the program? I mean, you all the way through. Well, you may be on a way away journey, coming home from a game when the train's broken down, possibly. But it's a shame actually, because most match day programs are really, really good now, really interesting compared to the four sheets of tissue thin paper. I was going to say paper thin paper, then Kieran, but <laughs> another indication of how early in the morning it is. Oh, this paper is so thin. I don't think there was some way to describe how thin this paper was. Toby. <laughs> Toby Gray, it's not first thing in the morning for you, Kieran, is it? It's, you, you've been up and about doing all sorts for hours, I imagine. Toby Gray um, says, in the Premier League, all clubs receive, I believe, roughly a million pounds every time they're selected for television. Uh, however, with all games currently on television, are they getting more money? No, they're not. Um, this is, and, and this is something I did have to dig into. Um, the, the Premier League um, actually sell seven packages domestically to the broadcasters. And those seven packages cover 200 out of the 380 matches. And, and what happens is that you end up with first, second, third, fourth you know, picks yeah. and so on. And the uh, the document itself, the proposal document, uh, is uh, is very detailed, very complex. But broadly, what happened in in terms of the deal uh, that we're presently uh, in is that Sky and BT are paying yeah, around about nine nine point three million pounds a match. Let's ignore any rebates, um, and and that's for uh, a fixed number of matches. So Sky. Get the you know I think pick number one is four four o'clock on a Sunday, and then pick number two I think is two o'clock on a Sunday and things of this nature. So so th- that's that that's all detailed in a um, uh, in, in a very complex formula, um, and 
if you appear on television, if you are picked under for those within those 200 matches more than 10 times a year, you are entitled to an extra £1 million per appearance in what we refer to as a facility fee. Now, in respect of the additional matches which are being shown live on the BBC, Sky and so on, those matches are effectively being given to the broadcasters for free by the Premier League as part of the uh, sort of, please don't ask for a bigger rebate. Right, uh, right. Oh, uh, right, okay. So um, I think the way that it will work in terms of facility fees is, you know, we are recording this on the Sunday and uh, first thing Sunday the, morning, Kieran. But first, yeah, you, you've, you've, you, you, I'm glad you mentioned that, Kevin. It's not, um, even, ten, it's not even ten o'clock. If the European Super League kicks off again today, Kieran, we're in big trouble. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been working on this since five this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I am in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's crack on, Kieran. Let's not discuss how much trouble you're in because it would, that will take longer. <laughs> um, so they're not so, getting extra, yes. So they're, so they're not getting extra money, um, but the facility fees are still being paid um, by Sky via, or via the Premier League because Sky say, well, today's match, uh, the key match, is Manchester United versus Leeds, and therefore we've still got our first pick rights. So the matches which are on the weird times, so so let's take, uh, you know, under normal circumstances, there would not be a match at 8 o'clock on a Saturday evening. Yeah. Um, the chances are that that is going to be an 8th, ninth, or 10th pick because it's Sheffield United versus Brighton and it was 90 minutes of utter shite. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid I did occasionally flick onto something that Vernon Kay was presenting that... I work in television and I struggle to work out what it was. But it, it wasn't Sheffield United and Brighton aimlessly kicking a ball about. Let's let's move on, Kieran. Um, Neil Kimpton has asked an interesting question. Um, I always worry about saying that in case people think I'm implying that their question wasn't interesting. If your question is interesting, everybody, this is why we ask them. And those people whose questions we haven't asked yet, your question is interesting as well, but we've got a long waiting list. But Neil Kimpton says, why are there no sponsors on the front of national team shirts? Is there a FIFA UEFA ruling on it? Is it just not the done thing? The Soviet Union used to have CCCP on the front of their shirts. Uh, did they get permission for that? Uh, Neil, let's not get Kieran on to reminiscing about the front of Russian shirts just at the moment. Um, <laughs> CCCP was a Kyrillic abbreviation for the USSR, basically. But it's a, it's a good point, Kieran. I, I would hate it, but presumably rugby fans don't mind because they, they're happily emblazoning logos on the front of their shirts, aren't they? Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. 
Yes, they are. Th- this is all to do with uh, UEFA and FIFA having uh, individual partners in individual industries. And, and what they don't want is for the exclusivity that uh, FIFA have. So FIFA have global partners for, for their World Cup competition, um, such as Adidas, Coca-Cola, Visa, Budweiser, McDonald's. Now, McDonald's would be really cheesed uh, off yes, yes. if, uh, let's say, that, uh, that Ghana are sponsored by Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. So that would be seen to be a rivalry for McDonald's or... Uh, you know, Mastercard support uh, the German shirts. Yeah, yeah. So um, this actually is is used by FIFA to generate more money for itself, but clearly that also results in less money for the individual football associations because you know the the, the England or the Brazil, the Germany, you know, US shirts. They they would they would be worth a fortune uh, in terms of advertisers, especially in a World Cup year. Um, so this is FIFA flexing its muscles, and, and it's the same for UEFA. And remember, if you, you think about the number of international matches that take place, um, UEFA have the rights for the qualifying competitions, and FIFA have the rights for the qualifying competitions, as well as the finals. So it doesn't really leave very much else. Um, so if it, England, in theory, could... I think I suspect have a a shirt sponsor for friendlies, but it, it would just look a bit naff. And mm. uh, you know the the manufacturers Nike, I think they wouldn't be over pleased. Um, you know it, we used to see England in training uh, kit with Nationwide, mm. for example. So it's it's only for the the match day shirts that uh, this particular veto applies. Do you know I'll be I'll be perfectly honest, Kieran. I, um, I don't like to see players' names on international shirts. They don't belong to the player. The, the, number, the number belongs to the country is, is a, an old-fashioned view I've always taken. So are you implying then, Kieran, that rugby doesn't have enough um, international backers to worry about upsetting them with individual sponsors? Cause... Yeah, I, I think uh, you know, if, if we take a look at the Five Nations tournament, you know, that, that's effectively just split between the five countries. Yeah. Um, and whilst there is the International Rugby Football Union, the 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 rugby union world cup is is you know a relatively recent phenomenon and the uh the 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 power share is actually with the individual rugby unions as opposed to the the global organization right. yeah, we, yeah we all know that fifa is a very political you know mafia style uh body uh you know and I, and i can say that with without fear of uh, any any reactions because you've just got to look at the number of people that have been prosecuted for inappropriate behaviour who have been you know s- you know senior people there. Um, yeah. So where, whereas um, the the IFRU and you know the, the, from a rugby league perspective and other sports, it's it tends to be the power lies at a slight, slightly lower level. Now, on a similar note, uh, Toby Bowles. Um, has pointed out something that I think a lot of football fans have wondered when they watch Newcastle games. Toby Bowles says, why doesn't Mike Ashley choose to advertise his Sports Direct company on Newcastle shirts? Is it because of a potential backlash from fans? And which club owners, if any, do advertise their company on the team shirt? Can I answer this, Kieran, please? please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go for is, it. Is it because Mike Ashley gets more money from somebody else than he would do if he sponsored his own shirts? 
Well, I, I think that's that's a potential contributory factor. Absolutely, <laughs> that's that's good teaching, Kieran. You didn't tell me it was wrong. You said potentially. That's an interesting. Yeah. Okay. It, well, um, people might recall that St James's Park was once called the Sports Direct uh, Arena. In, indeed, yes, but not by Newcastle fans. I hasten to add, but not but, by yes. yeah, not. Um, and such was the backlash that. Um, I think Mike Mike Ashley is taking, to, to a certain extent, the, the once-bitten-twice-shy approach here. Uh, but, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it, surely it, it makes sense to get external money into the club yeah. um, as opposed to, to him, him funding it. Um, Sports Direct also have extensive advertising on billboards and, and uh, you know, it, we, we now have these big, uh, big, big banners, don't we, or, you know, on that stadium. So... Uh, the uh, the perception of Sports Direct in Newcastle is is somewhat tainted through its association with Mike Ashley, and you know, you know don't 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 grab a tiger by the tail is is my view. You know if if he uh, the sales of Newcastle shirts in in a city which is football mad um, are actually lower than you would expect, and, and part of this is is just that they don't want to have anything to do with. Uh, bringing more money into Mike Ashley, we saw the the Blackpool fans with their "Not a Penny More" campaign, yes, yeah, which, yeah. which helped to contribute to the, uh, you know, the uh, the the former former convicted rapist Owen Oyston um, leaving the club. Um, and I think some Newcastle fans say, right, we're not going to buy a shirt until Ashley leaves because yes, we want to see our team. You know, you you, you are you're in love with the club. But why give additional money, which is simply going to go through to, to Mike Ashley's coffers? So there has been a backlash in terms of the the extent of merchandise sales are probably lower than you'd anticipate. Um, and if they had Sports Direct on the front, the sales of kits would be even lower than they are at present. And the second part of Toby's question is, do we know any owners who do advertise their company on their team shirts? Yes, yes. Um, one, one, of, uh, one of the price of football's all-time heroes, Andy Holt at Accrington, um wham uh wham sponsor the shirts there um clearly we've got uh the etihad uh, yes. uh, manchester city yeah, yeah okay yeah. it's not directly but it's it's pretty close to the owners and uh leicester city for for many years of course were sponsored by king power of course yes okay thank you toby lee taylor says that a few clubs over the past few years have been selling grounds to their owners or other companies, including mine, Aston Villa, and them lot down the road, uh, who I assume here in our Birmingham city, because Lee has just written the B and the Y, and the rest is asterisks. Uh, good work, Lee. Um, and Lee says, recently our not-so-friendly neighbours from the other side of the A38 expressway have had a problem with their ground and have partly shut it. So who would pay... For these repairs, would it be the club as tenants or the owners of the ground? Now, my mother-in-law lives in Birmingham. I go there often, or I used to, and I love it. But only in Birmingham would someone make that question so geographically explicit. <laughs> only in Birmingham would they have to say, well, of course, it's the A48 Expressway. They're on the other side. They say, oh, yeah, well, yeah fine. <laughs> so, uh, Hallie's mother-in-law's next-door neighbour. So it doesn't matter which stations the train went through, does it? It just went through the same stations as it always went through. They're obsessed with geography <laughs> in that city. Um, but it's an interesting question, though. If you if you do sell the ground, who 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 are responsible for for repairs? Well, it it will vary um, tenancy agreement to tenancy agreement. We if, if we if we look to see what we have at West Ham in respect of the London Stadium, 
um, they are responsible for relatively little uh, for the for the three million pounds a year that they get for the you know sixty two is it I think going up to sixty four thousand yeah. capacity stadium. Um, to a large extent, it tends to be irrelevant because if we take a look at uh, some of the recent stadium sales, yeah, Aston Villa, Birmingham, Reading, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, and now Scunthorpe, um, given that they are owned by the same person, ultimately it's coming out of the same person's pocket. So um, it could be for yeah, if 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 I was if I was being creative with the accounts, Kevin, and I was trying to avoid financial fair play, and you know perish the thought I'd ever think about this um, and, I, and I happened you know I happened to be thinking about it I, w- I would make sure that the landlord is responsible for the repairs and changes because that's one less cost to go through into my FFP calculations but you know I'm sure that's never entered the uh, the thought processes of uh, owners who have been selling their stadiums to themselves at very very generous prices um, mm-hmm. so that's where we are okay. um, and, and but the, the, the world of uh, the world of stadiums is is weird. You know, we, we had Walsall's stadium, which was sold to a company which appeared to be linked to the pension fund of the club owner, and Walsall were paying rent on it. Uh, so, yeah, you know, as so, soon as you start to dive deeper and deeper into this, there, there is a is a whole chapter to be written in somebody's book about uh, this particular relationship. We should write a book, Kieran, shouldn't we? Um, the, the lawyers, the lawyers would have a field day with our book, wouldn't they? Um, now, our next question, Kieran, comes from a chap called uh, Gordon Brown, ex Prime Minister and Chancellor of the Exchequer, and he wants to know if you're free for another chat later on today. Twice he's called you, Kieran. Twice, Gordon Brown's been on the phone in the last couple of days. Yes, yes. I mean, in, in what has been a fairly surreal week for me. Because um, I, I started off, and yeah, the, the reason why I'm in so much trouble is I've, I, I've done 120 interviews this week. I, I've still got a, I've still got a full time job teaching. Yeah, so you know, all of can my I just stop you there, Kieran. I, I told my agent on Friday that between us, you and I had done 120 interviews this week. <laughs> <laughs> just to big myself up a little bit, I didn't I didn't reveal the bit that you'd done all of them. <laughs> <laughs> So I've, I've got to do, you know, I've got to do my day job and I do my, you know, my lecture preparation, all the stuff. You know, I do, I work that in the evenings or I get up really. Early. So, so the reason why I'm in so much trouble at work is that the only way that my, my wonderful wife, the Baroness, has been able to contact me is by booking me on a Zoom conversation <laughs> from the kitchen. Um, so it sort of, yeah, things started to calm down on Friday. And she says, uh, you know, we are, we are going to, spend this evening together and i said yeah 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 yeah, i can't see anything else coming through and what happened you know she's what happens if somebody phones you i said well yeah if it's somebody i know i'll you know i'll say no to and if it's an unknown number i'll just be polite um and and then she sort of said okay i'll 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 make it up to you with a sort of a carlo ancelotti style raised eyebrow and i thought oh blimey it's gonna be one of those nights she's she might even get out the Russian phrase book if I'm very lucky. <laughs> so, so I thought, yeah, I'm on a promise. I, I, I need to keep my nose clean. And um, it was eight o'clock, and the phone rang, and I didn't recognise the number. And she was just serving up dinner. So, I, I, and I said, I'll just quickly have a word and say, you know, I'm sorry. And uh, I picked up the phone, and it was this. Uh, he says, Oh, it's it's Gordon Gordon Brown. I thought, and and it. I thought that sounds like Gordon Brown. 
text your likes on. Yeah. So I said, "Oh, hello, um, sir," <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, the Baroness is just staring at me, and you know, you know that look, you know that look when a wife is, and and, she, and then I'm sort of sort of trying to make signals, going, "It's Gordon Brown, it's Gordon Brown," and she's she's going, "What, what?" So so then he starts talking, um, and uh, and she's she's just giving me daggers. So I, I put it on speakerphone. And you know it's clear that it, you know Gordon Brown's got a very distinctive voice. Indeed. So, so the Baroness curtsies, <laughs> curtsies at a telephone, <laughs> and I'm having this conversation. No, something he can't see you. He can't see you. <laughs> um, and so yeah, for 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 some reason, um, somebody given uh, Gordon Brown was talking on Football Focus, but he's also in, he's been involved with the likes of David Bernstein and, and uh, Indeed, yeah. Gary Neville and so on, with a view to coming up with uh, something to deal with you know, football governance and finance. Um, and an owner of a football club had said, there's this somewhat nerdy guy who knows every single number going. Um, but Swiss Ramble wasn't available. Um, so... <laughs> So, so therefore, I was second in line. Uh, I, I think, I think, I think the Swiss was at a, a yodeling competition in the evening. I, I don't know. I don't know what the hell was going on. So, I'm, I'm having this conversation. So, I'm, I'm. It's so I started off by calling him Sir, and then I moved on to Mister Brown, and he was on for an hour. And, and you know, he, he was. He, I could tell he was taking notes. Very, very detailed. Certainly knew his stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and by the end of the conversation, it, it was Big G. You know, we we, we were buddies. <laughs> We, we were busies. Um and it I go and I'm going you, you do know I'm just sort of you know, I'm I'm just a simple lad from the land of the bogs and the little people and you know, I thought, why why is this conversation taking place? Um so yeah, he, he took down notes and you know, some of the stuff which we've discussed on the show in terms of you know, why why are uh why why are gambling companies getting a free pass in oh, terms wow, of football. Okay. Right. So he took that on board, and he, he mentioned that on Football Focus. We've also spoken about uh, fans being able to have some form of representation on the board, even if we don't move to fifty plus one. So you know, and some of these have already, of course, been discussed. He's, he's, he's spoken to you know, David Dean, Bernstein, Gary Neville, and so on. Um, but he was very receptive. I, you know, I I do have a few numbers I, I was able to help him with, um, and then he phoned up again on uh, Saturday morning. Um, and uh, it, it was it, it's very good, you know. And you know, we've we've had you know, Conservative Party MPs on the show. We've had Andy Burnham, the Landing. Yeah, you know, we, we tried we tried to have uh, a broad church because football belongs to the people and not just the people of one political party. But yeah, it it was uh, it, it was weird. I mean, I'd started off the morning on Pakistan TV at some ridiculous hour because, of course, they're about six or seven hours yeah, behind us, and, and then finished off the evening with. Uh, former Chancellor and Prime Minister Gordon Brown. Um, what a I, day! I, I'm, I'm very proud of you, Kieran. I'm generally very proud of you. Um, it's a real feather, feather in your cap. Um, but it also, the second time he phoned, reminded me of my favourite showbiz story, Kieran, which uh, an engineer at Elstree Studios told me about his granddad. Uh, Bert Lancaster came over to make a film at Elstree in the late fifties, and Bert Lancaster was a man. Who didn't approve of what he called effete actors, so he liked to make friends with the with the with the crew, and he liked <laughs> to find a local pub, uh, and he befriended his 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 granddad Ted, and it it led to this scenario whereby the doorbell rang at his granddad Ted's house, 
and his his gran <laughs> opened the door and she shouted up the stairs, Ted, it's that bloody Burt Lancaster again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it just, the t- it just, <laughs> I said, Ali, Gordon Brown's phoned him again. And of course, Ali, Matt Ali uh, did a lot of work around the Drop the Debt campaign back in Jubilee oh, 2000. And, and Gordon Brown was a, a huge supporter of that. So she was very, very full. I'll just, I'll just imagine the look on the Baroness's face when dinner's going cold. It's Gordon Brown, darling. What, am I, what can I do? Who gave him my number? Anyway, Mark Cartwright. <laughs> I am very proud of you, Kevin. That's brilliant. Well done. Mark Cartwright has a question. Uh, a, a nice accountancy question, Kieran. Perhaps there's a sorbet after that shocking showbiz interlude we just had. <laughs> uh, Mark Cartwright says, when sell-on clauses are invoked, are they only applicable when um, the, sell- the player is sold for a greater price than what they were bought for? Um now, this is a good question, Kieran. It's never occurred to me uh, to ask this. And, and Mark Crichton says, so if, for example, you buy a player for $10 million but sell for $5 million, do you still have to pay a 10% sell-on fee? As apparently, says Mark, Wren sold Rafinha to Leeds at a reduced cost to avoid a large sell-on fee to Sporting Lisbon. Okay. My understanding um, is that the, the sell-on is in relation to the profit on the deal. Ah, okay. So... If you if you spend forty million pounds, buy a turkey, and you sell him for ten million pounds with a ten percent sell, at least you keep all the ten million pounds, um, as opposed to having to then give you know ten fifteen percent of it to somebody else. There's nothing in theory to stop a club putting in a clause, but I can't see anybody ever accepting it. The problem with sell-on clauses is it does. I mean, as Mark sort of uh, you know, Mark suggesting. Um, will will some clubs try to circumvent the rules? And uh, yes, they will. Hmm. The best way to do that is if you've got a player who you're selling with a large sell-on clause, don't sell him directly, have a player swap. Right. Because what you can... Let, let's say that you've got a player that you signed for £10 million. Um, now, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use the... I'll use the case of uh, you know, Eve Basuma, Brighton's midfielder player because he's, he's attracting a lot of attention. Um, yeah, we bought him £15 million from France. Let's say that they've got a, a 10% sell-on clause and his market value at present is around about £50 million. If we sell him for £50 million, then you've got to give 10% of the £35 million profit. Yeah. Why not say, well, we can do a player swap um, with player X and both clubs then say, well, in our opinion, both players are only worth £25 million. Right. Therefore, we're going to give you ten percent of ten million. Now, you know, that that's a way around it. Clearly, it does re- it does require a scenario in which the the bidding the bidding club has a surplus player who's attractive to the management. So, it, you know, that's why it can't work every single time. But you know, I've, I've seen examples of player swaps before, and I thought, well, I'm pretty certain it was a for sell on there, and you know, yeah. that's the route that they've taken. Um, and, and you know, what is the value of a football player? It, it's it's you know, actually impossible to determine because it's it, you know ultimately we're talking about a unique asset. No two players are the same. So trying to get a definitive uh, determination of price is is almost impossible. And also you know you get involved in bidding wars when when Coutinho went to Barcelona. I think they originally bid something like you know, ninety two million pounds and ended up paying one hundred and forty. Because yeah. effectively, you're looking at an auction scenario. So it is, 
it, it is it is a complex issue uh, in terms of sell-ons. But um, yeah, this is why FIFA keep documentation to to try to prevent these disputes from getting out of hand. Because otherwise, how do you know what is being sold for? Now, our penultimate question, Kieran, is uh, on a similar-ish note, and it comes from Chris Pope, who says that around 13 years ago, David Nugent, who scored for Tranmere yesterday, uh, David Nugent moved from Preston to Portsmouth for a fee believed to be around £6 million. Uh, It was rumoured that payments were staggered, but due to Portsmouth's financial issues, uh, we didn't receive it all. Can you shed any light on that rumour? And, probably more importantly, what happens if a club refuses to or cannot pay any add-ons or future instalments on a transfer? Right. Well, ultimately here, we are bound by the um, football creditors rule. Right. Where um, football creditors football creditors are players and uh, clubs in, in respect of outstanding uh, sums. And these have to be paid in full before a club can come out of administration. So David Nugent was signed by, uh, by Pompey from Preston. Um, and uh, the you know, the Portsmouth administration and liquidation, and, and I've been through the the documentation uh, this morning as, as part of you know, doing the background for this. Um, the amount of money that was being taken out by the administrators, liquidators, and lawyers from Portsmouth, uh, even even by some of the silver tongued uh, friends we've seen in the past, was was quite astounding. Um, but what saved Preston to a certain extent was that Portsmouth had been in the Premier League and they were entitled to parachute payments. Right. And when the club went into administration, it went into administration, I think, when uh, when Portsmouth was still in the Premier League, the, the Premier League said, if there are any football creditors, what we will do is that we will deduct outstanding sums due from the parachute payments which were due to the club. Uh, so I, I may have got this wrong, um, you know, and uh, I do get things wrong. And I'd also like to apologise to uh, the Manchester United Hong Kong Supporters Club because when I said, I think on Thursday, yeah, we look at international fans, perhaps they're a bit more relaxed about Super League than we are. I got uh, and our our Hong Kong correspondent, who is absolutely brilliant, uh, he said, happens to be secretary of the Manchester United Hong Kong Supporters Club, uh, said, you know, uh, he said, uh, well, we had, we had a poll. We had a poll of uh, our our members and 90% of thought, they thought this was a you know a crock of horse oh, manure as well. Yeah. So it, 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 was actually, it was actually quite comforting to know yeah. that uh, it was, was universal. Um, so um, I th- my understanding is that Preston would have been paid by the Premier League oh. rather than Portsmouth yeah. itself right. in respect of the outstanding instalments. Um, going on to the second part of Chris's question, um, if somebody refuses to pay, then it, it goes to arbitration. And we have seen, um, and, and these are the things which sort of fly under the radar, it doesn't tend to be too much of an issue um, in the Premier League and the EFL because they do actually police these things pretty well. Um, but we, but there, there have been instances where there have been international transfers and uh, UEFA and FIFA have imposed sanctions on the club that has not paid the amount involved. Lovely. Now, our final question comes from Jay. And Jay says, as supporters of the women's game, can you tell me the average amount and percentage the host Premier League men's teams subsidise the women's team for, please? Uh, and thank you for that, please, Jay. Are you able to put a figure on that, Kieran? 
Well, it, it really does uh, vary from club to club. Um, we have Chelsea, who are, I think they're in the semi-finals of the uh, Champions League. Uh, so, you know, fingers crossed for them. We're really, uh, you know, the WSL is, is coming on, you know, in terms of uh, attractiveness to broadcasters and uh, viewers and so on uh, at a fast rate of knots at present. Um Chelsea lost £1.8 million last year, um, which as a percentage of its income is actually pretty high. Uh, it's about, about 60%, I think. Um, and it, and if, if you take a look at the accounts of all the WSL clubs, and yeah, that, that's what we do, Kevin. We, we, we look at them all. Um, we, then, we do, we do, yes. We do, indeed. We do. We do. Well, we do between us, we do. In the same we way do that, between us, exactly. In the same way that between us, we did 120 interviews and spoke to Gordon Brown this week. We, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, every one of them lost money apart from one, and that appeared to have a bit of unusual income to, to reverse the figures. So at present, WSL clubs are losing money um, you know, some of them six figures, some of them seven figures. Uh, but you know, we do have the new uh, TV deal, which yeah. is coming on stream, which is which is looking very lucrative. So I think the clubs themselves are hoping that they will be able to reverse those losses and at some point uh, move to more of a break-even model. And, and I think that'll be good for the women's team because um, it will help them in terms of their independence, uh, in terms of being dictated to by the other part of the club. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say, because presumably women's football is working towards that glorious day when they don't need to be subsidised by the men's club, do they? They can financially uh, exist on their own terms. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that would be good. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's great to watch. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the Chelsea versus Bayern match. The dog's coming in again. He, he makes it. He, he likes to announce his, his ins and outs, doesn't he? Has he got his, has he got his, what, his what, what was that toy again? He's wonky chomp. He's wonky chomp. Has he got his wonky yeah, yeah. chomp? Oh yes, yeah, right. he's there. Yeah, it, every, every time, every, every time the Baroness puts on the uh, on, on on her Nespresso coffee machine, he he has a Pavlovian reaction because he associates that with uh, being given a, a treat. So uh, as soon as yeah. soon as you hear that noise in the house, there's a off it goes a little insight into life in Sussex for you there, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, yes, I, I think women's football is going to be one of the big beneficiaries when when all this is over. As I'm 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 100 definitely going to see more uh, Crystal Palace women's matches when this is over, and I think a lot of people will do as well. And I think I've, I've got a, a feeling, a suspicion, a hope that if anything comes of the fallout from the Super League, it is that many more fans will turn to their local teams and non-league teams and to the women's teams for a taste of a more realistic football, shall we say. Now, thank you to everyone who's become a patron of our pod via our Patreon site, including Neil Baskerville. Hello, Baskey. Lucas Gillard, Manuel Bezio, and Ian Thomas, who said thanks for brightening up my Mondays and Thursdays. Um, I know Neil Baskerville, by the way. I wasn't just rudely saying hello, Baskey. Uh, Neil's a Coventry fan and he's a brilliant magician. So if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our pod, which would always be free to air, uh, and yes, I am talking to you, Gordon Brown, Go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have questions on any aspect of football finance that we can answer for you, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And as Kieran simply hasn't got the time this week because he's spending the rest of the day, there's a lot of it left, Kieran. Yes, there is. With, with the Baroness, I will say goodbye and we will see you again on Thursday. Take care, everybody.
Bye. The price of football. Buy a son for football.